Welcome back to a Clubfoot Mom podcast. I am your host and fellow Clubfoot Mom, Maureen Hoff. So recently I received an email from a woman named Hannah who gave me the idea or she suggested creating an episode that Clubfoot parents could refer their family and friends to when they first hear about the diagnosis. And it turns out that Hannah is the mom of a medically complex kiddo herself, not clubfoot, but in a different capacity. And she is the friend of a mom who just recently was, their child was diagnosed with clubfoot in utero. And upon doing the research, she had kind of found uh, the podcast and said like, this would be really helpful for parents to be able to refer their family to an episode that's specifically geared towards them. And I immediately knew it was a great idea. This is why I'm telling you guys, like if you listen to the podcast and you, I'm always looking for ideas or suggestions about what would be helpful because I'm only one person and I know what I know, but These are the ideas that I don't necessarily think of that are so great. And I rely on you guys to come up with ideas like this and then to communicate them to me so that we can make this happen. And Hannah gratefully was allowed me to share her name and a little bit about her story so that I could give her credit for the idea because it's not, it wasn't mine. So in this episode, I'm going to break it out actually into two different episodes. This episode is going to be specifically about clubfoot, the diagnosis, the treatment, what it means, how to talk about it, what um, your family, so whether that's your grandchild, your friend's child, your so what the clubfoot child and their parents are going to go through. That's going to be this episode. And then I'm going to do another episode about what it looks like to support families during different stages of the treatment. Um, I think they're two different topics. So this one is really just for you to send to your family and to say, here, here's the information. And the reason why it's important and why I thought it was such a great idea of Hannah's is because when your child is diagnosed with, I'm guessing anything, but with Clubfoot from my perspective, it's extremely overwhelming for the parents to digest and process their own feelings about it and do their own research and try to figure it all out while then trying to explain to everybody around them. Like I remember just feeling like so in the dark about what the process was going to be like for us and then trying to explain that or help other people understand or frankly even deal with their emotional response to it. Like I was processing my own emotions about how, about the diagnosis, about the fact that my daughter was going to be born with a birth defect. Like there was a lot of time where I frankly just didn't even want to talk about it. It wasn't something that was, that I could outwardly talk about because I was so internally processing it. So that's kind of the idea behind this episode for me is to give you guys some information so that you aren't inundating your family members who have the diagnosis with questions and so that you can listen to this too and help process your own emotions about how that's feeling. 
because it is a lot for parents to let alone acknowledge, process, and then have to respond to other people's processing of their emotions. So this one is really just about what it is. Okay. So the diagnosis of clubfoot, if you're a family and you're listening to this, this is all for you guys to understand. So clubfoot is a birth defect that impacts the lower limb. So it is a lower leg deformity. It's not just in the foot, but it's where the foot is curved up and in. It can also be referred to as tulipes, which is more used in Europe than it is here. And in the U.S., it's really referred to as clubfoot the majority of the time. And it happens, uh, you, can, it can diag- you can be diagnosed in utero. I think a majority of them are. Um, and it's done at that kind of anatomy scan at the 20-week ultrasound or whenever that happens. For us, it was a little bit later because we, for some reason, couldn't get in. So we were ours was at 22 weeks. And so a lot of parents will hear that, and their stories will be a little bit different. Um, we heard from our ultrasound tech about clubfoot. A lot of parents don't. They have to wait until they talk to the doctor. So that process is a little bit different for every family. But I would say majority of families find out about clubfoot birth defect in utero. Then sometimes after that diagnosis and the parents are told for us, and I do think frequently there seems to be a follow-up ultrasound with um, like a more intensive at, for us it was maternal fetal health where we went and made sure where the diagnosis was confirmed and it was also confirmed that there weren't any other indications of other issues such as spina bifida. So majority of cases, clubfoot is isolated clubfoot. So it's just the clubfoot, um, just the feet that are impacted and there isn't any other diagnosis. But there are some cases where that is and there are indicators of other things and the clubfoot is uh, in conjunction with something else. So that's really what that extra ultrasound is is for. Now, some parents um, opt to do further testing. We did further blood work, but I didn't want to do an amnio, which was we were told we could do if we wanted to. We didn't want to do that because at that point it just seemed risky and we were beyond the point of anything changing. The baby was going to be here regardless of what that information came for us And so we opted out of that. We also opted out of further ultrasounds. I, for some reason, they kind of were like, let's do more ultrasounds. And I was like, you know, the reality is it's not helpful for me. And once we had met with our orthopedic surgeon and did the consult, I just realized that I was like, we're not really going to learn anything else until she's here. And then once we can assess her feet at that point, then that's when treatment is going to be impacted, but there isn't going to be an impact of from feed, future ultrasounds. So we opted out of those as well. So those are some things that the parents might be hearing at this point, right upon diagnosis. The reason why clubfoot happens, I think, isn't known. They, they don't know what the cause of it is. They do know there is a genetic component, uh, meaning that 
there is more likelihood if if clubfoot runs in your family that that your child will have clubfoot, right? So if one of the parents or grandparents or in the immediate family. For us, that wasn't the case. We didn't have anyone in our immediate family, but we had, I think, extended cousins. And frankly, I think at this point, majority of people probably have some person that they know that has clubfoot because it is one of the most common birth defects. So, but that's where I talk about the genetic component. And once it's kind of there, like the way it was explained to us is that once there is the component present, that it's more likely that someone else, one of our children, or if we had another child would have clubfoot increases the likelihood of of them, of clubfoot being present once one clubfoot is there. Uh, you'll hear either unilateral or bilateral. Unilateral means that only one foot is impacted, and that's um, in 50% of the clubfoot cases, it is only one foot. And bilateral is both feet, where it's present in both. If it is unilateral, you'll either hear it's the right clubfoot or the left clubfoot, so just an indicator of which foot. Um, it's also more likely in boys. So it's 50% more present in boys than in girls. And it's 50% more likely that it's only one instead of both feet. So we always laugh that our cutie who's a girl and doesn't have a genetic component and had both feet was kind of like a clubfoot anomaly, right? (laughs) She had all the indicators of that. So those are kind of the diagnosis terms. After the diagnosis, majority of people will refer to a orthopedic surgeon. The orthopedic surgeon does the Ponsetti method of treatment. So the Ponsetti method was created by a doctor named Dr. Ignacio Ponsetti, who came up with this method of casting babies shortly after birth in order to manipulate and gently stretch the foot into the correct position. He realized that babies are so malleable at that point and they're, um, and so it's easier to manipulate the foot than it would be in an older person or an older child. So prior to the Ponsetti method really becoming the gold standards, the process of treatment was like a full surgical intervention on the foot where they would do all the surgery in order to get the foot into the correct place. I don't know the ins and outs of that. I'm not going to talk about that because I don't know it, but that was the process prior to. Then when the Ponsetti method became the gold standard, it was that includes serial casting. And what that means is that each week the child will have a new cast put on where you are slowly, gently manipulating the foot at each at each week until you get it into the correct position. Now, every child is different, but on average, that's between five to seven casts. So five to seven weeks of weekly casting. There are some doctors who do an accelerated casting, which means that they do, you know, a cast on Monday and then a new cast goes three to four days later. And I think there's research out there that proves that that's effective too, but it's also just based on, um, 
your medical team's availability and what they do for their care. So the people on the medical team are the orthopedic surgeon who does the manipulation of the foot, does the assessment when the child is born, um, and then there's a casting tech that helps when up with the surgeon applying the cast and then also for the cast removal. The casts typically are plaster casts in our case. Um, there are people who use fiberglass cast as well but uh, the plaster for the true Ponsetti method I think he recommended plaster because it was um, uh, like uh, right word of firmer I don't know it just kept the foot more in place it was heavy it was sturdier than the fiberglass but I know a lot of people use the fiberglass now too so don't freak out if that is what your medical team is recommending I so you'll do each of the cast then in about, I mean, the percentages waver, but in majority of cases there, they will do what they call a tenotomy, which is the, they will completely sever the Achilles tendon, um, in the back of the foot in order to release it. And then they will cast it for three weeks, allowing the tendon to completely reheal and then it will lengthen it. Typically within clubfoot, they have a very tight and short Achilles tendon, which will cause mobility and flexibility issues later in life. So they want to lengthen that in order to increase the range of mobility and flexibility within the foot. So majority of cases, I've heard between 75 to 90% of cases need a tenotomy. And that would be on one or both foot, feet, just depending on whether it's unilateral or bilateral. And after that cast, it stays on for about three weeks. Then you move into what they call the bracing phase of treatment, which is typically the boots and bar. So the boots and bar is where you have two boots that are abducted into the correct position. So they're pointed outward, right? That's what abduction is. Either 60 or 70 degrees. And um, if it's a club foot, if there's only one, if it's unilateral, then the non-club foot will be at a lower degree, like 30 to 40 degrees. But the club foot will be at 60 to 70 and the boots and bar does not correct the clubfoot, right? So the casting is what corrects it and gets it into the right position. The boots and bar maintain that correction through growth. Um, and so as your child grows and their feet change and they become more mobile, the boots and bar is what keeps the foot in the correct position and avoids any sort of relapse of the foot. Uh, Dr. Ponsetti said the club foot wants to relapse. It's So it wants to go back to its original position. So the boots and bar is there to keep it in the correct position. But I think it's important for family members to know that it's the casting that gets the foot to the correct position and it's the boots and the bar that keep the feet in the correct position. The boots and bar schedule will be, once you transition out of the casting, you will start the boots and bar that, that same day. So you will go directly from casting to boots and bar. And then you will be, the baby will be in 
Boots and Par for three months, 90 days of 23-hour wear. That means that brace will be on for 23 hours a day with one hour of free time, which will be for, um, you know, bathing, kind of just break time. Families will determine how they want to break up that time. So that transition period is intense for parents. And I'll talk in the next episode a little bit more about what you can do to help support them. But they'll be in 23 hours for three months. And then depending on their doctor's recommendation, everybody seems to be a little bit different. They will reduce an hour. Some go straight to nights and nap. Um, others gradually reduce. For us, we went to 18 hours and we went to 16 and then 14. And then she was in 14 hour wear because she always wore them at night and nap until she was done with napping. And then it was 12 hours. So I think once they become walking, um, then it's at least 12 hours a day until they complete their boots and bar. And they will wear the boots and bar nightly until they are four or five. And that is a determination based on their doctor as well. So for the first four to five years of that child's life, they will be in boots and bar every single night for 12 hours a night usually. So how you can explain this to other people, right? So you're taking in all this information, your family that is, has the clubfoot diagnosis of their child is taking on all the information and you're trying to explain. The way that I try to explain in a very simple term is that the Ponsetti method is very similar to braces, right? Everybody knows what braces are and they get the feet, the teeth into the correct position. The braces do that, right? So you uh, go and see an orthodontist, they put the braces on, they get your teeth into the right position, and then you wear a retainer afterwards to keep the teeth from going back to the position they were originally in. Very similar here. The casting gets them into the correct position and the boots and bar act as the retainer to keep them there. So it's an easy way for people to kind of understand um, logically what the treatment is so that they get it. Uh, I think that the terms that are really important for you guys to know are the unilateral, bilateral, congenital means that it's just present at birth, um, and that there isn't a, the, the reason, the cause of it's unknown, um, and isolated means that it's just the club foot, um, orthotics is kind of a fancy word for the boots and bar. Um, you can also hear like the foot abduction brace, which is another fancy term for it, which they also say it. FAB. Um, there's kind of the terminology that parents use and then the terminology that is used by the medical community. And sometimes there can be a disconnect in that. So it's just that information, just kind of knowing that maybe you're hearing you're talking about the same thing, but it might be slightly different. Uh, same with an AFO, that's an ankle foot orthotic and or orthosis. That's the same thing as boot, right? Um, then an orthotist is somebody that works with 
the boots directly. So an orthotic device, which is what the boots are. So that would be somebody that you would meet for fittings or if there's some sort of issue with the boot that needs help with. So I think those are all important terms. I'm sure I'm missing some information, but that's kind of just a general knowledge of what clubfoot is, what the treatment looks like, what parents are kind of experiencing, how you can tell other people. I think one my last kind of takeaway before I jump into the really how to support parents, which is a, a different deal, is just to educate yourself about what the treatment is going to look like. And, you know, in hindsight, it's pretty straightforward in a lot of ways, but it's a lot of information to retain. And then trying to explain that to other people, especially explaining it over and over again, can get really overwhelming for parents. So just giving them some grace and maybe trying to do some your own individual research about what that looks like is really helpful for parents because then it also helps them feel less alone. You know, if there's somebody that's like, okay, yeah, I want to, I want to learn about this so that I can help like, like Hannah who inspired this episode, right? She went on her own to find out information about what Clubfoot was so that she could be a resource for her friend, or at least just somebody that had some knowledge of what that looked like. I know for me, my parents and one of my brother's ended up reading Betsy Miller's A Parent's Guide to Clubfoot after the diagnosis, after I had read it, because they just wanted to learn more. So there are resources out there for you guys to find information about, and it really does go a long way to help parents if you are able to kind of get some information, um, just some general stuff about what it's going to look like for them. um, I think it really goes a long way. So I hope that you found this episode helpful. If you know of someone else that has the diagnosis and is struggling telling family, please refer them to the episode so that they can listen. I'm always open for questions too. So if you have questions, please feel free to contact me. You can do so through my website at maureenhoff.com or through my Instagram account at Clubfoot Chronicles Mom. Thanks for listening.